0: morning, three minutes after eight o'clock. Welcome to Money for Nothing. I'm Brian Curtis. Well, just a slew of top stories for you this morning. Bank of China plans to raise 100 billion renminbi or 16 billion U.S. dollars in selling preferred stock. The PBOC tells the big banks in China to make it easier and faster for people to get mortgages. Macau looks set to tighten up on easy cash from shops. Coke ups its stake in Green Mountain, the coffee roaster, and the EU as you've been hearing in our news, gives individuals the right to influence what can be learned about them in online searches.
1: I think it's great. I I actually think this is is a good idea. And I I wish the legislation went even further, actually.
0: Well, that's Jason Moon, a self-styled ethical hacker on the EU decision. Uh, More coming on that in just a moment. And a little taste of what's to come in markets. 2014
2: at the end of 2014, right? Slow and steady. We have earnings improving. The Fed's accommodative. Um, I think
0: equities will be OK. Yeah, that's Adam Parker at Morgan Stanley, the, Steve, uh, the chief U.S. strategist. Uh, he has a call out, a target for 2014 for the S&P 500 by the end of 2014. So we're at 1897 now after touching 1900 overnight for the first time. Our base case is 6% operating earnings growth. We have a couple percent buyback,
2: so 8% total earnings growth. I think as long as you have that, a dream things are improving, and
0: the Fed's still accommodative, I don't think you want to get too negative on equity. So he's not too negative, and he'll tell you why a little bit later in the program, why he doesn't think a major correction or any kind of crash could be coming. Let's get a quick check now on how the markets are moving in Asia. The Nikkei is down 27 points. That's about two-tenths of 1% in early trading at 14,397. The ASX 200 in Australia, six points higher, and in Seoul, the is up nine points. The dollar-yen is trading at 102.22, so that's not much change there for the dollar. Yen. the euro is at 1.370 us dollars and uh, the pound is trading at 13 hong kong dollars and four cents well, oh, by the way, in our featured segments this morning, we'll be looking at the renminbi and its direction in the face of U.S. pressure. Francis Jung of Credit Agricole CIB will be along for that. Stuart Aldcroft of City Investor Services will join us for a look at markets. And Alex Frangos of The Wall Street Journal will be talking about uh, Alibaba's stealth move into the entertainment business. Well, we'll probably find lots more to chat with Alex about uh, in uh, regard to China. Well, the highest European court has given people the right to influence what can be learned about them through web searches. The court rejected long revered practices about the free flow of information on the Internet. So this has big implications now for Google and Microsoft. More now from that ethical hacker, Jason Moon.
1: I think it's great. I, I actually think this is, this is a good idea. And I, I wish the legislation went even further, actually. Um, I've been speaking a lot about it today, but um, I understand that it's a double-edged sword. Um, There's a pro and con of this, of course.
0: More on the cons in just a minute. Before, if you didn't like what was being said about you uh, on the Internet, you had to get to the original source of the information and persuade the website to delete it. But now the EU Court of Justice says that the middleman, the search engine, could be asked to delete the links. So back to Mr. Watt as he picks up now on the two sides to the story.
1: The con would be perhaps for law enforcement, also sites that are helping you to... Um, protect yourself from scam artists, things like that. So if you're ordering a plumber or something, there are these sites which, you know, give reviews on different plumbers and things like that. Um, so perhaps those plumbers would seek to have that information removed, well, from the index on Google at least, so people couldn't search for their name, for example. Um, so that, that would be sort of an obvious con. Um, and obviously the pros, I mean, I know you can kind of whitewash your past doing this, but but the um, a pro would be, you know, perhaps you said something you didn't really mean, or perhaps you've got emails floating around online, which are no longer valid, or you use for some online dating profile, you don't really want them found anymore, um, things like that
0: so again our guest this morning Stuart Aldcroft from Citi, Francis Jung from Credit Agricole and Alex Frangos from the Wall Street Journal coming up but first let's take a look at Wall Street the S&P 500 was little changed overnight after briefly topping 1900, that was the first time it had done so, data on retail sales in March were higher than initially reported the data for April not quite as good as expected, the S&P 500 added less than a point to 1897 the Dow was up 19 points, 16,715. In a corporate note, Kura Green Mountain was up 7.6%. Coca-Cola lifted its stake in the company to 16%. However, small cap stocks slumped again with the Russell 2000 index down 1.1%. Yesterday it had rallied the most in a couple of months. Adam Parker from Morgan Stanley says that this kind of selling of growth stocks might continue for another six to eight months.
2: I think the big thing I've been talking about with investors is this big growth rotation, the rotation out of biotech, software, and Internet that was very sharp and really since Yellen's comments uh, you know, two months ago. And our work showed, we did this about five weeks ago in know, our work showed that when that happens, it continues to last for 10 months on average. The best-performing sector is energy, and the worst-performing is consumer discretionary. So about five, six weeks ago, we started moving in that direction
0: of the portfolio. I hear energy and discretionary, hey, that's it's literally what happened historically. So, again, he says 10 months in total for a sell down when you see a big sell off in growth stocks like this. But he doesn't think that U.S. markets are at the top. How do you call the type of top of any cycle, right? I think there's two things that are always in place. One is, we,
2: our phrase for it is hubris and debt. Hubris is some form of management arrogance gone awry. Too much capital spending, hiring, inventory. They put costs in place that turn out to, not to be merited. You get a soft patch, earnings get creamed. Mm-hmm. If you across the market right now, people are pretty sober. The CEO confidence level is much more mediocre relative to the market being at an all-time high. As such, he is not worried about a major correction hubris. I don't see it from management debt. No debts do. They pushed out the financial obligations for a while. They borrowed at a low rate. So if you want to get bared up, you're getting bared up on people and you want to call the top of the cycle, what's going to make you afraid of an earnings decline? Because what I tell you is the stock market never goes down 10% or more unless people are really afraid of an earnings recession. So you've got to tell me what's going to make them panic. And it's not, it's not the cost from, from the hubris and it's not the debt. You've got to find something
0: exactly. So that's Adam Parker from Morgan Stanley, their chief U.S. equity strategist. He was a really noted bear for a couple of years. He turned bullish about a year ago, and he maintains his bullish stance at the moment. Data showed retail sales climbed 0.1% last month after a revised 1.5% surge in March. The median forecast of some 83 economists, though, is calling for a 0.4% advance for last month. So a little disappointing in the previous month, but much better than expected, the Previous month. Meantime, the yield on the 10 year Treasury down five basis points to 2.61%. A big good morning now to Francis Jung, head of rate strategy at Credit Agricole CIB. Francis, good morning.
3: Morning.
0: Yeah, great to have you on the program uh, again. Uh, so, what has your attention the most this morning?
3: Uh, we have some uh, policy measures or actions uh, just announced uh, yesterday both from China and Hong Kong you can say that uh, they both ease a little bit um, on the property measures although I would say in Hong Kong it's kind of a technical issue but in China it is more telling Uh, following a meeting from uh, the PBOC on the financial services in the property sector the PBOC is calling on banks to try to put the financing needs of some uh, first-time home buyer as the priority so uh, in Sense that the PVC seems to be encouraging some lending to uh, the property buyers, which is kind of deviating from its uh, long, long standing, like highly tightening stance in the property sector.
0: Does this show a bit of weakening on their part that they're a little bit nervous about growth?
3: Right, exactly. Um, yesterday also brought a slew of uh, weaker-than-expected uh, economic indicators from China, including retail sales, industrial production, etc. So uh, they may think that they might have overdone some of the tightening measures, but again, when they tightened, they target specific sectors. So this time around, when they uh, kind of ease, uh, they may be also quite targeted, including the previous selective RR cut, the reserve ratio cut, and these um, some, I would say, tiny measures uh, in the property market.
0: So where does that leave you then uh, on your sort of uh, ideas about growth this year everybody and his brother knows that growth has been slowing on the mainland it's just hard to figure out how much they want it to slow how much is in their control and how much is you know is out of control where do you see growth uh, for 2014
3: mm, I don't think they would like to see uh, growth slow down too much It's less of a matter of the headline growth rate but about the structure or the credit expenses they are eyeing but uh, given that uh, it seems that they changed their stance slightly. I think they would still like to maintain growth at 7% or above. And it's very easy uh, in China's case to push up growth if they are willing to because there could be a lot of investments that can be done uh, in many backward cities in China. So uh, we are not too concerned about the growth level itself.
0: One of the other interesting things happening overnight uh, or late last night, we learned that Bank of China is seeking um, as much as 100 billion yuan or 16 billion U.S. Uh, in selling preferred stock. We learned about this uh, a while back, um, but it hasn't happened much. Uh, uh, this is an interesting sign. Do you see this as, anyway um, any way, uh, an important plank of reform, uh, allowing companies to raise money by selling preferred stock?
3: Exactly, it's not actually only about preferred stock. As a wider um, uh, development, uh, China is encouraging uh, both corporates and FI to rely more on the capital markets, moving away from bank loans because there could be a lot of systemic risk uh, if you borrow too much from banks alone. And indeed, China in the region uh, is the most uh, relying on bank loans. So, in terms of capital market, I think they're encouraging both fund raisings in the stock and in the bond market.
0: So I headlined both of those stories this morning, uh, the the preferred stock sale by Bank of China and also the one that you mentioned at the top there about the PBOC telling the big banks to make it easier and uh, more efficient for people to get mortgages. Um, one of the other things that I said we'd talk about was the RMB, its direction, the fact that it has depreciated more than 3%, and there's pressure now from the United States uh, for it to go the other direction. Now, where do you see the RMB moving over the next
3: six months? Um, We still believe that the RMB after the recent weakness could be um, resuming on a very gradual appreciation trend. Uh, we suspect that uh, the effectiveness of using FX to uh, try to support growth could, uh, could be actually uh, quite low. Uh, nevertheless, uh, because of all these signs of weakness in the economy, of course, uh, China may want to actually steer the RMB to, um, I mean, to a slightly higher level before uh, the appreciation trend resume. Why? I think that uh, it should still appreciate because uh, China would still want to internationalize the RMB. If you have a depreciating currency, uh, I think that would definitely affect the demand for RMB products in the offshore market.
0: You've always been pretty uh, confident about uh, the way these things are moving. Uh, never, never one to uh, preach, uh, uh, you know, a major dislocation coming in China. Do you still feel that way? Uh, is everything moving sort of according to plan in China?
3: Right, because gradualism is always the word uh, when you try to describe China. So that's why I think every, many things are under their control, um, especially they have the renminbi fixing, they have uh, all these uh, guidance on the bank lending, etc. Uh, although, of course, there could be uh, something that can uh, happen surprisingly, but it's uh, super difficult to predict. So if I cannot really predict that side, uh, I would just allocate, um, I would just focus on the core scenario.
0: And you mentioned Hong Kong, we may see uh, slight relaxation in- in the uh, property curbs here uh, actually the government ran into a little trouble with legislators yesterday They didn't really like that much about what they heard uh, but it does indicate uh, at least the intention by government to perhaps roll in some of these measures um, with um, with the Fed indicating uh, that it kind of wants to stick to its taper plan through October so sometime at the end of this year we will see you know the bond buying uh, come to an end does that make you nervous at all about Hong Kong property?
3: Um, I think definitely. The interest rates is one factor, but bear in mind that um, the down payment that uh, many uh, home buyers pay, were, were paying was already quite uh, of a high proportion, and uh, the many many of the home buyers have bought actually properties at a very low price. So if you compare that to many developed markets, I think overall we are in a much better position.
0: Oops, I've been a bad boy. I just noticed that it's uh, well after eight fifteen. I'm supposed to let you go by eight fifteen. So Francis, sayonara. That's Frances Jung, head of rate strategy at Credit Agricole CIB, a regular contributor to this program, and she needs to be out by 8.15, and I stole a couple of minutes. Yeah, that kind of tells you the program right there, and you're listening to Radio 3. I'm Brian Curtis. One of the other big stories this morning, Macau casinos reportedly have been given until the 1st of July to stop offering illegal cashback services. These services allow mainland gamblers to dodge restrictions on how much cash they can take to Macau. The SMP has a front-page story saying that the Macau Monetary Authority is finally doing something about the widespread use of China UnionPay swipe card devices to withdraw unlimited amounts from the cardholders' accounts in the mainland. The crackdown is expected to extend to the many pawn shops and some of the retailers who offer this kind of service for a fee. These transactions amounted to an estimated 40 billion renminbi last year. You use your credit card to buy something, you sell it back to the, uh, to the shop, and then they give you the cash, and boom, you've got some easy gambling money. Let's say good morning now to, uh, to Stuart Aldcroft, Senior Advisor at City Investor Services. Stuart, good morning. Good morning, Brian. So nice to uh, have you here on the program, and thanks for being patient and waiting. Uh, you don't have that tight limit. You stay with us till eight. I usually right? stay to the end. That's Yeah, end. that's good. Okay. Mm. Um, yeah, I usually have plenty to talk about. What would you like to talk about?
4: Um, I think investors are right now sitting on a very difficult time. Um, Mm. They've got a big decision to make. Uh, You know, the usual epithet, uh, sell in May, go away. Um, And we're sitting here in May with many of the Western markets, the big major markets, at all-time highs. So should investors sell or should they take Alex Barker's advice from Morgan Stanley, which I tend to agree with, um, that the markets have still got quite a bit of an upside potential left in them. Yes, there are
0: so many dilemmas. Uh, we've had this big sell-off in the high-flying growth companies. So just a little explanation for people listening if they're not so familiar with, with the terms you know, growth and value. Growth, you, know, you sort of pay up for companies. You're willing to pay more for a company that is really growing fast with 30-40% you know, growth in a year. Um, so we put them in a category. They have been slaughtered here of late all over the world, particularly in the United States and here in Hong Kong with um, you know, sell-down 30-40% in many cases. So some of that money went into the old economy stocks. So now you have to make a decision too. Do you want to get out of markets because the S&P is at a high? Or do you want to rotate from growth into value? Or do you want to go back into the growth because the growth got hammered?
4: Yes. And, and I think another reason why a lot of growth stocks did get hammered, not, not big time hammered, but just small time hammered, was because a lot of investors were looking for income from their stocks. And value investing means that the uh, Prices are a bit lower, the P.E. ratios are higher, and they were more attractive for, for that type of investor. So that's where the rotation of money went. Now, yeah, well Some of those corrections were a lot more than uh, gr- gradual and slight. They were like 50%.
0: You know, we saw Twitter down 50%. A company like Kingsoft here with very strong
4: earnings down more than 32%. Sure, and, and of course, you can also say some of them were a bit overpriced when they came from their peaks. Uh, that's, that's an inevitability in, in the rotation of markets. Yeah. Uh, I can't comment on individual companies, but what I can say is that I think we've gone past the cycle of just purely looking for income and high-yield type proper, uh, um, uh, uh, stocks, because that, that's getting to be quite a tough exercise. And one other interesting part of this is that a lot of
0: these um, high flyers, um, some of them that I know you do like, uh, they do have strong earnings, uh, they've, they're they all kind of resting now close to the 200-day moving average. And in fact, that index, the Russell 2000, which represents the small caps in the States, is it, it really went down below that, and then it popped up above it and then it sagged today. So it's right there. Do you think that um, is this in any way a telling sign the 200 day for a lot of these high flyers?
4: I think that yeah. I mean, it is a telling sign. I think there is a bit of an investor exhaustion in the US. They've done well. I mean, if you've been invested in the US or indeed in Europe, you've made over 50% in the last couple of years. How bad is that? Is that is that a time to start taking money? Well, yes, it's never any bad sign to take a profit. But where do you put your money? Because there isn't much choice out there, with interest rates still virtually zero on deposit, Uh, fixed income looking pretty much um, dead in the water, because the only way forward for interest rates is going to be up. So, you know, staying in equities is probably the right thing. And what about China equities, uh, since they're down quite a lot, um, you know? Yeah, uh, the China market has been real frustration for everybody, professionals as well as amateur investors. Uh, when is it going to take off? How will it take off and what will it do? There's a lot of negative thought out there that growth rates are falling. Yes, they are. Um, and and uh, I was interested, your previous speaker, suggesting that there's an element of manipulation able to be undertaken to keep the markets um, within uh, or keep growth at around the 7% target level. I think that's probably true, but I think growth at 7% is, is a standard figure that China is now currently going to aim at. If it, if it misses on the downside by half of 1% or on the upside by half of 1%, it really doesn't matter. Okay, let's switch back to the U.S., look at earnings. Uh, about
0: 76% of S&P 500 companies uh, that have released results have beaten uh, estimates on profit. Just 53% exceeded revenue projections. That's really not too far off the norm. It's a little higher for beating. However, some people have cited that the, uh, that the um, uh, projections
4: were lowered by analysts. Uh, do you feel comfortable with the earnings we've seen? Earnings uh, are improving, and I think that uh, there is still quite a lot of opportunity on the upside within the U.S. Uh, one of the other things that I quite like about the U.S. market is that we're starting to see an increase in M&A activity. As a lot of companies have got cash. They, they, they're looking to use the cash. So maybe what they're trying to do is to find others that they could be buying out there. And that will be another uh, prop to support the market as we go forward. Okay, stay with us uh, in the studio. Stuart,
0: because I'd like to say good morning to Alex Frangos, Asia editor for Hurt on the Street, of the Wall Street Journal. Alex, good morning. Good morning. So Alibaba is coming up, and we haven't talked about it in about a week. It seems like a long time. (laughs) A big interesting topic. Uh, I'm interested uh, in in JD.com. That's uh, come up a couple of times on this program. And also I'm interested in in whether or not you're hearing that people are selling down some of their their tech holdings to make way, for Alibaba?
5: Well, I mean, it's definitely a possibility and you have, uh, you mentioned JD.com which is, uh, uh, you know, basically the the big rival to Alibaba in the e-commerce space uh, in um, in the mainland and has a very, very different business model and looks probably to do its IPO before Alibaba um, you know, it, it's uh, much more. It uh, controls its inventory and, and uh, delivery system. Has uh, you know, thousands of uh, delivery personnel. Um, and uh, what you buy on its website, it's actually holding uh, in its warehouses, unlike Alibaba's websites, where it's sort of kind of serving as a middleman. Um, you could almost compare it. You know, say Alibaba's is kind of like the uh, um, uh, eBay, and and uh, uh, JD.com is more like the Amazon. In that Amazon controls, you know, all of its warehouses and distribution uh that makes it uh, much less profitable because it has lots of overhead and um you know paying for all this infrastructure uh but it's a very different play and it might it might end up being um something that uh consumers migrate to in china because of the uh you know because of uh the, you know having the reliability of, of a company that is holding the merchandise can verify the merchandise isn't counterfeit and can also deliver it to you they have you know same day delivery in something like 47 cities in china which is, is pretty impressive
0: pretty amazing uh- same-day delivery. Uh, Tencent has bought a chunk of JD.com. Is this shaping up as a big battle between Tencent and JD.com versus Alibaba?
5: Uh, yeah, I mean, definitely. I think Tencent has basically thrown its lot in with JD.com, is outsourcing its uh, e-commerce um, capabilities to them. And uh, it, it, you know there's the potentials for a, a really positive um, synergy there, given uh 10 cents you know massive uh, you know network um uh, wechat or wechat network um, of of people and they can kind of meld the jd.com customers in with their the WeChat um, community um, and that that's very powerful. It gives them a, a big edge on mobile where Alibaba you know definitely has made progress but needs to um, uh, you know needs to stay current. I mean the th- the thing you know, we were talking before about these internet stocks uh, globally you know being so you know going so high and pulling back um, you know part of that is just momentum investment. Part of that is the, just the unknowability of what's around the corner in technology and, you know, what today, you know, Alibaba seems like a juggernaut. It's about to have this IPO that might be, you know, the biggest ever in the U.S., $20 billion, you know, technology will change, and maybe tomorrow, you know, JD.com is going to be the big, the big player. We just don't know, and, and that's what makes it such an interesting ride. A lot
0: of people may not realize that Alibaba doesn't actually take a percentage of what moves through its uh, system. It, it has uh, advertising on the system. How about JD.com? How do they make money?
5: Yeah, I mean, it's much more traditional. You know, they, they have the goods, and they sell them, and they take a profit. So, I mean, it's interesting you look at the... But it, doesn't
0: that affect pricing, then? Isn't, doesn't Alibaba then have an edge on pricing?
5: Not necessarily on the pricing of the good, um, because it depends on you know a whole bunch of factors. But in terms of profit margins, it has a huge impact. And so, in fact, JD.com is you know actually runs a loss, but has much much more revenue, books much much more revenue than Alibaba. Even though Alibaba makes way more money, because Alibaba doesn't book the revenue that of the you know the value. So if someone buys a smartphone on Alibaba, one of Alibaba's websites, uh, Alibaba doesn't book the revenue. The revenue is booked by the seller who's you know using. Alibaba's website as its uh, marketplace. Okay, whereas JD.com, it's actually you know booking that revenue.
0: You've done some uh, investigation. It Sounds like uh, you really like what you see at JD.com. What about Baidu? Because you know in the past these guys kind of stuck to their own areas. I mean, Tencent was mobile games, and uh, and you know then got into messaging, and now it looks like it's really getting into e-commerce. Alibaba e-commerce, but now it's doing a lot of other things. How about Baidu? Uh, it um, traditionally was a search company. Is it? Um Making well, a foray into this
5: area? Well, I think everyone's kind of making <clears throat> making a foray into everything, and what we're starting to see is kind of a coalescing in the Chinese internet of these three big players: Alibaba, Baidu, and and Tencent. And they're all, you know, encroaching on each other's turf, and um, you know, it's shaping up to kind of be a you know battle royale of, of who can be on top. It might can, just can, be can might, they all be winners? Uh, it's possible, yeah. Um, it's big, you know, it's a
0: very big market.
5: It's a very big market, and it's also a protected market in that you know the Chinese internet is its own thing. They don't, you know, there's no Facebook, there's no Twitter, there's no Google to uh, horn in on these guys, and um, uh, it, you know, it might just work, uh, you know, sort of an uh, ol- oligopoly system, you know, similar to the, the telecom. Space, uh, which which would be you know very different from the rest of the world, where you know a startup can appear like Facebook or or you know Twitter or um, you know Google and kind of turn things upside down. And um, uh, it, it's un, you know I think China's its own thing.
0: Stuart, you remember the last time you were on, we talked a little bit about Amazon. Uh, Amazon got whacked. It had uh, earnings out. Uh, it grew revenues twenty three percent, but it also grew expenses twenty three percent. One of the things that it spent a lot of money on was setting up these fulfillment centers you know, warehouses, whatever you want to call them, in China. Um, do you think that uh, Amazon provides some competition to Alibaba going
4: forward? I can't believe that Amazon isn't looking at what what's going on in China and saying we want a share of that. Um, they've already got the name, they've got the, the, the setup, they've got the systems they just need to be more with the infrastructure. But at, at the same time, Alibaba and JD and Baidu could also be looking at the rest of the world and saying, we'd like a bit of that too. So, um, But okay. what the, the good thing is that all of them will be in competition with each other uh, and will grow the totality of the market and that's what, what is the best news out uh, You guys are such
0: good talkers, we could go on until <laughs> 9 o'clock, we just uh, tell back chow well you only get a half hour today but, but that's up uh, to you Brian <laughs> yeah I, I can't make that decision I mean I could make it because it I am the it. boss but I obviously won't make it so thanks very much guys for You're joining thanks. us Alex Frangos, Asia editor for heard on the street of the wall street journal and uh, looking uh, at markets generally with Stuart Aldcroft senior advisor at city investor services so here's how the markets are trending now. The Nikkei's is down, it's about a half a percent after some nice gains yesterday. Australia's down as well, Seoul slightly higher. We didn't mention oil. Oil's picked up $3 in the last week, now 109.42 for a barrel of Brent crude. Gold, $1295.20 an ounce. Thanks for listening. This is Money for Nothing. Cue the weather with that. And here's what we're looking at today. Mainly cloudy with some showers. Some sunshine expected later in the day. So it could be nice in the afternoon. The maximum temperature about 30 degrees. 30 Celsius is 86 Fahrenheit. The outlook for the next couple of days. Showers expected. The weather to improve over the weekend. Coming up next, the news and back chat here on Radio 3. <laughs> The news with Samantha Butler. The Turkish government says 151 miners have been killed in an accident at a coal mine in the west of the country.